Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast. Glad you could join me this week because we have a whole bunch of news to get into. The breaking news as we record this podcast on Tuesday, Yusuf Nurkic, the Trailblazer Center, he is done for the season after suffering a devastating leg injury in the game Monday against the Brooklyn Nets. We talk about what that means, both for Nurkic and the Blazers' chances of making any noise uh, for the rest of this postseason. A little bit later on, the Celtics, they're going through another swoon. How can Boston get it together? Can they get it together before the playoffs start? And the Lakers, they'll be outside of the playoffs looking in for the sixth straight year. LeBron James, he'll miss the postseason for the first time in a long time. We also talk about Denver and their chances to make some noise 
in the Western Conference. Joining me to talk about this and much more is Brian Scalabrini, the former NBA forward, does a great job now as an analyst for NBC Sports in Boston. So stick around for that. It is a terrific conversation with Scal. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcast, also known as iTunes, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. Now, on to my conversation with Brian Scalabrini. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast. My guest this week, you've heard him here before, terrific analyst for SiriusXM NBA Radio. You can see him on the Celtics broadcast. He's part of the Big Three, which kicks off, Scott, what is it, season three? Season three, three, and there's some good names in there. So I can only imagine my squad. I got I got to reevaluate my plan right now. <laughs> Brian Scalabrini is joining me here. You, it's it's all it's this is off topic, but you how you pick your big three team always entertains me. Like you don't go for the names, you go for the guys that can play. Well, I that was the first year, and I saw how you called me out, which was cool. And then the second year, I went a different direction. I'm actually thinking in the third year, thinking about taking all big men. <laughs> When the league is going small, I might go with just like, I'm talking, I might take Greg Oden, I might take Larry Sanders, I might take Eddie Curry, and just like go with big dudes and see how it works out. What's Eddie Curry looking like these days? Is he in? I think he's thinner than when he was with the Knicks. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like Chicago Bull Eddie Curry. All right. That was an athletic Eddie Curry. Yeah. That guy could play. No, but you know what? He said effort's a funny thing. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. That kind of got me, but you know what? If he just gives me effort for 10 weeks, I might have a shot. So anyway, I have no idea my GM strategy. Bottom line is I got to do better. As Brad Stevens would say, I got to be better. <laughs> you know you got to go Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was built for You know, he got team. his own team. Can't oh, take him. Right. Yeah, he's like, yeah, it's not fair that he's so good. And he's- the captain of the ball hogs is me, and I can't carry like a rec league. And Joe Johnson's over here. We got to try to stop these Joe, guys. Joe Johnson is built for the big three. Uh, all right, let me jump right in here. On Monday, in the second overtime of Portland's win over Brooklyn, uh, Blazers center Yusuf Nurkic went down with a serious leg injury. Nurkic suffered a compound fracture to his left tibia and fibia. Scott, it was the kind of injury that brought back memories of Paul George's leg injury of Gordon Hayward's ankle injury. What was your reaction to seeing Yusuf Nurkic go down like that? The reaction was the same reaction of the Brooklyn Nets. They all like almost threw up on the floor. Um, those, like, those type of things are, are just disgusting to see. But you have to ask yourself, like, how is your leg breaking in half on a play that happens a thousand times a night? So hopefully, like, I, I, have, a, I have a theory that He's going to come back, and they're going to find out that he had, like, whether it's, like, a deficient in calcium, magnesium, or something. There's no way that something like that could happen. And hopefully, I think he'll – if nothing is wrong, I think he'll be better because of this. Because I think he'll get in the situation where they'll be like, man, my, my diet was messed up, or I was doing this. I need to be taking care of myself a little bit better. I was 20 pounds too heavy, whatever it may be. And he's not a guy that relies on his athleticism. So if he loses 10%, a la Paul George lost 10% of his athleticism early, I don't think it's going to bother him. So, uh, But as far as like the hardest question is, how do we evaluate the Portland Trailblazers now? Would you, it was all about this year. And you knew if they got blasted in the playoffs again, 
there are some moves that were going to be made. And I like everything that they did in the offseason, and I actually like their team. I didn't, I didn't think they were a championship contender, but they are a nice team with some front court players. I just like them. Now this changes everything. Yeah, you said it. I mean, this Blazers team had as much or more pressure on it going into the postseason as any that's out there. And Nurkic just isn't just an injury. It's a massive injury. Look at some of the numbers. I mean, he was having a career high in minutes, points, rebounds, PER, win shares, uh, ranked 18th in the NBA in plus-minus. Portland's offensive rating with him on the floor improved by 10.5 points. I saw that. Uh, defensive rating improved by 5.3 points. So this is, I mean, Lillard is the guy that drives the ship out there. C.J. McCollum, obviously influential, but Yusuf Nurkic is close to indispensable to that team. And you lose him, I, you know, they're now, they've now become the team that you want to play in the first round. 100%. And you know what's funny? A year ago, I would say it's got to be close to this time, we were like, Nurkic has to play better for them to win. And he didn't play well. In um, against Anthony Davis, he got he got worked. But here's the thing about the league: you get worked, and then you put the work in, and then next year you that all that stuff that that happened to you, you move past it. And we really love that about the NBA. But now him going out, I do think that the Portland Trailblazers are a team that you want to play in the first round because if you're a guard, you want to go out. You want to see Enos Cantor trying to stop you in a, in a pick and roll. And so it'll be really interesting. I just. How does Neil O'Shea make a decision moving forward right now? If you say you make it pre-NERC, you make it post-NERC, they're, they're in a tough situation. But I think Neil's done a great job. He has to figure out now how do you move forward. And maybe it's just an asterisk. Hey, man, we lost our guy, so we just move on from it. Yeah, and the, the operative thing there is that, you know, if you've got C.J. McCollum under a friendly-ish contract he's the most tradable asset you have on that team do you shake it up if you get beat by Oklahoma City or Utah in the first round or do you just chalk it up to we lost our third best player and you know that's just kind of what happens I I don't know if they go I I don't know I don't know what Neil Olshay does because it's such a significant decision do you say that all right, we were on a path to success. Nurkic is only going to get better. He's, I think, 24 years old, so he's still going to get better. Presumably he'll come back healthy. We'll just stay on this path. Or do you say, look, we've gone as far as we've gone with this group, yeah. and we've got to kind of throw it all out and start all over? What I thought about was you, Damon Lillard said I had a – I don't know if he said it or if it was reported that there was a deal that if I wanted to be traded at any time with Paul Allen that you would trade me. I'm, I'm going to sign with you, but you know, let's have like a handshake, man-to-man deal. Does Damian Lillard, if they get blasted in the first round based off of this, does he say, hey, man, let's, it's time for me to move on? And, and does Neil have to make that decision? So to me, it's, there's so many more implications than just him breaking his leg and them figuring out. they got to decide a lot of things moving forward. Do you look at that team? Because we make this, have this discussion all the time about Eastern Conference versus West. If the Portland Trailblazers were an Eastern Conference team, they'd probably be a top four e- contender. Easily. No, top two. Top two. Okay, I'm just oh, yeah. always being more conservative there. But, yeah, I'm down on the East. But, but the, do you look at that group as being the type of team you should – I mean, we kind of just joked about your GM skills a minute ago, but do you look at that group as being the type you want to build around – or do you look at that group and saying we need to change something to win the Western Conference? Because the West could look a lot differently this time next year. It's hard. It's I think they made the right moves to get themselves in this position, but it's hard to make a move to be better, you know, moving forward. But maybe you know, I guess let's not overreact to this. Maybe 
how Kevin Durant's free agency shakes out. Maybe that determines whether they just continue to keep going because no one really knows who's going to be the powerhouse in the West next year. Are we, are we all sold on Denver taking that next step? Maybe. Utah, to me, is one of the better teams. I don't know what's going to happen to Oklahoma City. So there's, there is sort of, if Kevin Durant were to leave, there is a sort of a power grab for, for the top-tier team in the West. And you know, so maybe they go and they say, all right, well, Durant's gone. Now we know everyone has a chance. If you think about LeBron leaving the East, now four teams believe that they should end up in the finals because there's no LeBron James. Yeah. All right, let's talk about a team that you and I are both pretty familiar with. That's in Boston. Uh, the roller coaster ride that is the Celtics season has continued. Boston lost four straight heading into Tuesday's game in Cleveland. This is on the heels of a successful West Coast road trip and a five-win and six-game stretch. The Celtics, no strangers to highs and lows this season. They won eight straight in December, only to follow it up with three straight losses that included a home loss to Phoenix. They had a 10-1 stretch to start 2019 which was followed up by two just brutal losses to the Lakers and Clippers that kicked off a six-loss and eight-game run. Uh, your thoughts on this latest round of losing, which has included a complete collapse against Charlotte, and then uh, I would call it a no-show against the San Antonio Spurs the next night. Sure. So this all comes down to when Baines tweaked his ankle against Philly and Marcus Smart got kicked out of that game. They were in total control of that game. They lost that game, and then they proceeded to just like go into the tank. Even though that Charlotte, like I don't even know if Charlotte wanted to win that game. I think there was a, probably a moment there where they've kind of tapped out of their season. Yet they're playing these young guys and testing them and seeing where they can get. And then Kimber Walker smelled a little blood, and, and thirty to five is inexcusable in a place like that. That was like people were just like they were just there to participate, right? And so to me. The San Antonio loss, the Spurs went in there and beat them. But I, I think with this team, they're the most inconsistent team I've ever seen. And not game to game, it's quarter to quarter, possession to possession. They can be going so well and everything flips. They got to figure out, and I guess everything's about the playoffs per se. That's what they're the one telling us that. They got to figure out when things go sideways, can we self-correct? And I don't know if I'm convinced that they can. I haven't seen it enough. You know, like 6-0 runs can't turn into 18-2. to 6-0 runs need to be at max. You call a timeout, you come out, maybe they score a bucket. You need to get back on track. And they don't do that. And so when you're in a playoff game, if you go 18 – if Milwaukee goes 18-2 against you, you're not beating them. If Indiana goes 16-4 – in their building, you're not going to win that game. And you might not have home court to begin with. So I'm just really down on their lack of dealing with adversity and their lack of consistency. Where do you, how do you, where do you attribute that to? Because, you know, when I talk to some of the players, when they go on these winning streaks, they do think they've figured it out. You know, they, well, at least they, that's what they tell me. That they've, like, you know, you know 10 and 1 in January, they felt like they were onto something. You go out west and you win, they felt like they were onto something. And then. Did they really, or did they give you, like, the, the song and dance? Because, like, some you do tell have, me, you tell me that West Coast trip where they all sang Kumbaya on the plane. You tell me where you were like, man, these guys are playing really good ball right now. I'm not going. I'm not doing it with the Golden State game. I'm not going there. That's not adversity, Chris. Sacramento was adversity. I thought that was a good win. Great win. Great win. No Kyrie on a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Hard playing team. There's your great win. Lakers scrimmage. Clippers 
embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't care about wins and losses. I care about how you deal with adversity. And adversity comes in all kinds of different forms. And they're just not good with that this season. And they can have – they can uh, – like a, a good win against – like 10-1 and one during that stretch, you'd have to go in there and say, when were they challenged? And I'm not, I want to see – and it's never – it's not zero – and it's not every time. It's most of the time when they're challenged, they don't respond that well. And that's like, like I said, I think Toronto is still on the run right now. I think that run that started out 18 to 2 has turned into like a 10,000 to 6 run. By, and they're just like, they're still feeling good about that run. So I, you got to convince me. And it's not at home when the crowd gets involved, it's on the road. And these are, we're talking about being a championship contender, right? On the road, dealing with adversity, and you win the game. You tell me some good wins this season. I can't think of any. Yep, handful in Philadelphia. Decent win on Christmas. Uh, but you're right. Christmas, Christmas was home. Christmas home, you're right. But Philadelphia they, they beat, right before, Philly. Yeah. Right before uh, the break. Right. Good win. Good, good win. win. Good win. They, Sac- Philly. they don't Philly. Whatever. I I don't, Sacramento, that, good. We talked about that Sacramento, was a good win. But you're right. They're, they're, they're few and far between. Yeah. What, what's striking, though, is that this was a team last year that oh, handled yeah. adversity brilliantly. The best. The <laughs> best. The best I've ever seen. The best I've the ever best seen. The best to the worst you've ever seen. I, I, it's crazy, right? With the same team, largely. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the uh, the Kyrie Irving news last year, and like, I mean, like you're writing them off. How many times did I write off the team the year before? The, right off the Isaiah Thomas year, I just you, you you just are so amazed that Brad Stevens has been in the league this long and that his teams have dealt so well with adversity until now, and it's like the opposite effect. I, 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 I look, I'm here every day. No one knows this team or sees this team more than I do. Now I'm not looking to ask people inside track on this stuff because I don't want to know what they think. I'd rather just form my own opinions by watching, but I've never seen a team that deals so poorly with adversity. In my, in my years of playing in the NBA, uh, coaching the Warriors, you know, I, I, I mean, Steph Curry was a great with dealing with adversity. Like, things would happen. He would go on a run by himself, right? From coming back and doing the broadcasting with the Brad Stevens era and Major trades happening and guys getting it done. Isaiah Thomas, like the 60th pick, comes in and fifth in MVP voting. And last year, all the injuries and Shane Larkin out there playing. And where's he at right now? Playing on my big three team. And now, like those guys were winning road games against Utah and Portland, where teams don't win against those guys. Western Conference teams don't win. I mean, Eastern Conference teams don't win against them. And then now we're at this point where it's just like, man, everything. A Phoenix at home is tough. I have no idea how this happens. So what is there anything that you've seen that you can attribute that to? Because this is the same group. Now, I think that it's been very clear that the young guys have had a very hard time going from alphas on last year's postseason run to reduced roles with this team. That's clear. But you have... Who, a guy who has been one of the better fourth quarter players in Kyrie Irving added to the mix, and that it, and their ability to handle adversity has changed entirely. I mean, 
their ability to defend in those situations has changed. The, the last, I, you know, I question defensive efficiency statistics. They're still like a top six team in defensive efficiency when they haven't played like one, you know, for the last couple of months. What do you attribute that to, this this inability to handle adversity when this is the same group that handled adversity in the regular season and in the playoffs? They had to go seven games no in the postseason. They pushed Cleveland. They played uh, the Cavs tough all the way into that game seven. This was a team that thrived in adversity. How, how do you explain any of that? The only thing I would say is, uh, and from a basketball standpoint, when I watch, it looks like this to me. They want to right the ship on the offensive end, which is – kind of counterintuitive to everything I've been a part of. Usually, all right, guys, we buckle down defensively, right? I actually think they, when they're not making shots, they lose their mojo defensively. They play flat-footed. Like, one guy goes up for a rebound from the other team. On, on, I'm, I'm talking, like, an offensive rebound. And four Celtics are just standing there watching. Like, they want someone else to make these defensive plays. And then offensively, when things are going sideways – I hate, I mean, I hate their shot profile. Pull up jumpers, you know, dribble up threes. You know, like that's where you like, all right. And they've done this a little bit better, and Kyrie and Al have done this better. All right, we're just going to run two-man game and get a good look, and every rest of you guys just stay out of the way. And I, and I like that, and they've done that for a little bit, then they went away from that. So as just their shot profile, and let's just – and for – to so give you an example of what I'm talking about, for people who are listening to this that watch the Philly game, the dust-up between Smart and Embiid. So anybody that knows the NBA knows when there's a dust-up, you got to drive the ball because they don't want things to get out of control. So you're, you're going to get to the free throw line if there's any kind of contact whatsoever. So it was Embiid, dribble-dribble, layup, Celtics flat-footed. It was Kyrie, drive. Then it was Embiid layup, Embiid layup, Celtics jumper, 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 Embiid layup, and then the game was like out of hand at that point. And I just like, I don't know if they don't know that, but I'd be shocked because I'm sure that people listening to this podcast knows that when things are at a heightened sense, just drive. Like everybody knows you drive to the basket when there's a dust up because you're going to get to the free throw line. And why they settle for the shot, not all shots are created equal at all times. There's things called heat checks, and there's things called fourth quarter shots, and there's first quarter shots. They're all different. But for me, the Celtics are all the same. The same shot that you take when a team's on a 12-2 run is the same shot you're taking when you're on a 12-2 run. They're different shots. There's a different profile of that shot. But it seems to me it's like, well... We all need to be the best version of ourselves, and I can make this shot. Well, yeah, everyone can make that shot. It's like that might not be the best shot to take at that time. And I don't – of all the teams I've ever seen, this team does not understand that more than any team I've ever been around. How much responsibility does Kyrie Irving bear in this situation? Because he was not part of last year's postseason run, but he was a catalyst for this team – getting to where they got until he got hurt for the season in March. He played well that month of November when they took off in the aftermath of the Gordon Hayward injury. It just seems like things have been flipped on their head this season where maybe it has something to do with free agency and that kind of looming over Kyrie Irving. Uh, But it just seems like there's far more negativity around Kyrie Irving this year than there was last year. How much responsibility does he bear in all this? So 
I can't I can't speak to all that free agency. Uh, whether he's going to get paid, not going to get paid, does but he the impact free agency has had. But I don't. But why is it that? Why? Like, here's where I don't understand. The dude can do everything on the court. He has no weaknesses on the court. Right, left, pull up, jumper, fadeaway, floater, left hand, right hand, whatever he wants to do. So if that's the case, how does the team go twenty two on us? Why and why doesn't everyone recognize? All right, man, let's just get the ball to Kyrie. Let's just set a little brush screen for him, and let's just let him get great shots. And sometimes he, like, settles for bad shots. I just don't understand why a guy who can get to the bucket anytime he wants sometimes takes questionable shots. And I'm not saying he shouldn't shoot. I'm saying, like, just because you can make it, why take it? Like, you can get to the cup on anybody in a defense collapse. You're so good of a passer, you can find anybody. So I don't know if it's – I don't know if, like, free agency is coming into play right there. I don't know. I don't know what makes a person do that. I don't know when Kimball Walker's going off and, like, like, scoring on us, why he settles for threes when he can get to the bucket at any time. I can't imagine, like, Hornets go 30-5. to five with, And it wasn't all with Kyrie out there, but he got outscored by 17 in 7 minutes and 35 seconds. I can't imagine being that gifted offensively and not being able to get anything you want against a team that's like a very average defensive team. Mm-hmm. So, now I don't know why that's the case. I just only know that is the case. As disappointing as that Hornets game was, I might have been even more disappointed by San Antonio because, you know, they had a long meeting after the game and Kyrie Irving came out and said, our energy just wasn't there. Well, that's him. His energy wasn't there in that Spurs game. And this is a team that's trying to get home court advantage against Indiana you're playing against a second-year point guard in Derek White. That's the type of game you should I don't know, excel in, maybe too strong a word, but play well in for sure. And I just felt he was going through the motions in that game. I didn't see the the energy you needed to see in a situation like that with Kyrie, and it was perplexing. It, it really was. I was just I, – I couldn't believe that he wasn't – playing with the type of energy that you should be playing in a situation like yeah, that. I don't I don't understand that either, but you know, maybe it's just the wear and tear of the NBA season is getting to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a theory in general about the stars, and I think there's a physical demanding component to the NBA that you have to adhere to. And it's beating getting beat up and getting hit and hitting the deck and all that. And the and the LeBrons, the KDs, the Giannis's, the Embiid's, the super freaks of, of, of the game, they live, they can, they can withstand that. It's the six-foot Steph Curry's and, and Kyrie's, man, I think it's more challenging for them because of their size and stature. Even though their skill level is insane, it's like hard every day to go into the basket and like maneuver and, and figure and get hit and, and figure that out. But... Uh, and, and, you know, I could see how the energy level from a Kyrie to go to the basket and attack the basket over and over and over again could waver because of, you know, he's a 6'2", six, 6'3", six, guard who's not like – he's fast. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's not slow. Even, even by NBA standards, he's not. But he's also not like just physically demanding presence, right? So I just wonder if we're, we're, we're going to get like games like that. Steph Curry is unique in that way because he makes five threes a game. So right off the jump, you know, he's taking – I think he's taking around 12 a game, and he's getting five of those – making five of those. So he has an impact just by shooting the ball. 
where you know uh, Kyrie's not on that same level. For him, it's more about attacking, attacking, going into bodies and taking hits. So I could see why his energy level could could be could be suffering. You know, after a it's a back to back in Charlotte, devastating loss. And I do think. When he loses games, I think he's devastated, like mm. emotionally devastated. It's mm. not like he's just, hey, well, it's all good. Next one, got to move on. Mm. I think it like really wears on him. So I can see why he could be zapped of energy. But at home, the rest of those guys, that's where you got to pick them up. Everyone's wanting to be the man. Everyone's wanting to be on that level. It's a good opportunity for you to do it. And all that being said, this team is still the most unpredictable team in the playoffs. Like They could get beat in the first round. Or they could go to the finals. They're not losing their first round. Probably not, especially if it's Indiana. Yeah. But but they, I mean, if they put up a really big clunker, they could. Is all uh, I'm saying. I, I, like the only thing is the flip. All I'm saying, like the bigger point is that they could still go to the finals. Ah, uh, you don't believe that? I, I do, know you. I do. I think I think it's a, sm- a small chance, just like it's a small chance they lose in the first round. But we've seen this team click at various times during the season, and I. I at the very least, the conference finals is realistic. Sure, sure, because Milwaukee could be flawed. Right. We don't know. But like, uh, you've been high on Toronto from day one, though. I just don't think that they were going to lose at home. That's true. You've so been, you've been big on Toronto. You've, you've no, they're good, man. Yeah. Like Kawhi Leonard, like the way that he displaces Marcus Smart. Yeah, it's like it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Like you, all you guys want to watch like dunk contests and stuff like that. Like when I see Kawhi Leonard standing there still and then step into Smart and Smart flies back three feet. Like, that stuff is, like, inhuman to me. Mm-hmm. That's robotic. Like, I don't understand how he does it. So, I just think he's on another level. I think he's on another level. I I actually, if you take away the games that he doesn't play, which obviously uh, attrition matters, I think he's the best player in the NBA. I, I He's a two-way player. He doesn't take possessions off. You know, there's you can argue that he doesn't make his teammates around him better and his personality is jaded, whatever, like that. When I just watch him play, I think he's the best player in the NBA – but he has all kinds of flaws, like Uncle Dennis, and and what is he going to be there or not be there? Is he going to play or not? Like back, you know, the Spurs thing. It's like all all that stuff comes into play, and that makes him not the best player in the NBA. But man, I'm telling you, man, if they, if they played uh, Golden State, I would love to see him guard Kevin Durant. Absolutely, <laughs> it's like like he's not afraid of any man. Why would you be? Like, in his mind, when he's driving around, I know we all think, like, LeBron's the greatest and he's a king and everything like that. Like, Kawhi Leonard, in his mind, he really believes that he's better than LeBron. Yeah. And he's like, why do you mean? I shut him down in the finals. And Incredibly confident player. It's ridiculous. And he's like, and he's got game. It's just, I just, I'm high on Toronto. Now, I don't know if he'll sit out playoff games or whatever, but I just, I'm really high on Toronto. I don't think that they can be beat. Can you imagine if they get to the finals? Like, if you're Kawhi Leonard, can you walk away from a finals team? Like, Kawhi Leonard do whatever the hell he wants he to can, do. He can, but like, and he's, he's, and, and he's one of those guys I have no read on whatsoever. Like, no one does. He could, like, 1201, he could sign a new contract, be like, I, um, and tweet out for this first tweet in like seven years. He'd be like, I'm staying in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, staying, I'm staying with the Raptors. You just tweet out. Yeah. <laughs> Retweeted by the New Balance account. Like, <laughs> I'm staying with the Raptors. I don't know. He's so, this, I just, I just, I think that. I, when I watch it, like like I said, people love all kinds of stuff in the NBA. Like when I watch Kawhi Leonard, I believe that he's not a human being. I think he's a robot, mm-hmm. come like from the future. <laughs> he's like he's just another level of a player. No wasted energy with him. It's either. ridiculous. Like he, he goes. He doesn't do a lot of dribble between the legs. He doesn't yeah. do a lot of just you know dribbling around. It's spot. he doesn't even talk. 
hey, Kwai, you want to play? He just like shakes his head yes or shakes his head well, no. Believe me, as someone that's done now three feature stories on Kawhi, I know he doesn't talk. And that's <laughs> been an ongoing issue for me. In, it's uh, unbelievable. In this one. Um, all right, Scott, let me t- let's talk about the Lakers for a second. Uh, L.A. will miss the playoffs for a sixth straight season this year. The Lakers, as we speak, have 32 wins, three off the total from last season. LeBron James will see his final streak end at eight and his run of 13 consecutive playoff appearances and at uh, at that 13. The Lakers will soon enter uh, what is going to be an uncertain offseason where they could be looking for a new coach. They'll have to re-sign or replace about half the roster, a bunch of one-year contract guys on that team. And we assume they'll make another run at Pelicans big man Anthony Davis. So let me ask you, what were your expectations for the Lakers at the start of the season, and how is that meshed with what they've turned out to be? So the way I looked at it was this. If LeBron gave the same effort he gave last year, when he played 82 games and everyone in the media wanted to give him some type of award for it. And Chris, you were on that as well to a certain extent. Oh my God, I can't believe he's doing this. And I'm like, he's playing 82, but he's really not playing any defense, which you brought up. And I'll give you credit for that. That was more than the other media and what they, they did not mention ever. I he- just, I just remember before you continue, I remember being on the Cavs West coast road trip and there was a play in Portland. Oh, the, the <laughs> Alfred Camino play. Was that the one? It was. It was one. Well, it was one play where the ball was loose, like five feet in front of LeBron, and instead of going for it, he kind of pointed all his guys and directed them to it, like right there. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, for all this, and that was the same game he just body bagged Nurkic and that, that. Oh yeah, that yeah, dunk. yeah, yeah. But it was like for all his marvelous offensive talents, right there. I was like, all right, this is beyond just a slight step back defensively. This is a conscious effort to yeah. conserve energy. Wait, and I and I understand why. I understand why. But like, can we call a spade a spade? But there, the Alfarik Aminu play was a backdoor cut. And, he, and LeBron was standing at the elbow. The ball goes to Aminu. He, like, bobbles it, then dribbles it, and then, like, looks around, and he lays it up because he's thinking, like, LeBron has to be coming to block my shot. LeBron stood at the elbow the whole time. So I said this. If he gives the same effort that he gave the last two seasons on the defensive end, the Lakers aren't making the playoffs because I just got a ton of respect for the Western Conference. And I just, just look at the players – like, look at the teams, and you start, like, pointing these teams out, and you're thinking, like, how are the Lakers going to make it? Now, to, to their credit, like, I didn't realize – I thought Sacramento would be bad, and I thought at the beginning of the season, Minnesota would continue on what they had with the Thibodeau thing and everything like that. So I had Minnesota in, and, um, and I didn't think the Clippers would be as good as they are. But I actually had the Lakers outside the playoffs because I just – I'm a huge fan of, of, of the effort and energy it takes on the Western Conference to be good. I don't think that people realize how hard you have to play night in and night out on both sides of the ball. All right, I'll get back to my conversation with Brian Scalabrini in just a minute, but I have to tell my listeners about a new offer from the folks over at Blue Chew. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. 
Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code MANIX. Just pay the $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MANIX to try it for free. BlueChew is the cheaper, better, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. And now, back to my conversation with Brian Scalabrini. I had the Lakers on the outside looking into, and you can't, forecast an 18-game stretch of LeBron misses games necessarily. I mean, they went 6-12 and 12 during that stretch, and that contributed to everything. Nor can you could you have predicted the impact of the Anthony Davis stuff having on the younger players in that locker room. But two things I thought going into the season that turned out to be applicable all the way throughout. One, the style of play was not conducive to a LeBron James team. I mean, the no. idea that you're bringing in playmakers and not shooters, it just never made any sense. At the surface, it didn't make any sense in practice. And one thing that that jumped off the page to me in the beginning was that there weren't a lot of guys on that team that had equity with that team. And so when the going got tough, I kind of thought that they weren't really going to bond together, at least not some of the one-year contract type of guys. That got compounded after the Davis stuff because not only did you have the one-year contract guys being like, I don't know if I'm going to be here next year. I'm going to you know, kind of get mine and that's it. And then you have the Ingrams and the Kuzmas and the Balls sort of looking around going, are we going to be here? Like, this isn't what we... You know, we thought we were going to be part of a rebuild here with the Lakers. So I think that negatively affected the locker room to the point where that when it did get tough in early February, they weren't able to kind of band together because there was a lot of negative energy uh, around that team. So those two, for those two reasons, like it's worked out in kind of different ways, but it, it, it's it still was applicable to what that Laker team went through. Sure, I just I just never thought they were that good. I didn't. I didn't like. I'm with you on the roster construction. I, and really. Magic Johnson, like, calling out the Cavs. We're not going to do it like them. We're doing it differently than them. I thought the Cavs like, did it was... like Miami, which is a smarter team than most any of them out there. Yeah, just like you put shooters around LeBron, this is how you're going to do it. And it started out the season, we want to move the ball around. Like, you know that wasn't going to last. So, uh, it's, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. I Like I said, I think the margin for error in this game is a lot smarter, smaller than people give it credit. And if you're not going to play and compete on the defensive end – and you're going to grandstand your teammates when you don't defend, and I, I, it's not going to work. No one's okay with that. No matter if you're the the greatest player ever, the king, you're on the barbershop, space jam, none of that matters if you are not playing defense and playing hard. I, I think the real question is, can he get back to playing as hard as he did when he was in Miami? I don't know if you can at this age. 34, right? Yep, 35 in December. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe he can. I, I don't know. I haven't seen it, and he's done a great job of, of – he does a great job of managing his energy. Like, in playoff games where they weren't going to win, he shuts it down. You could tell he goes out there and he plays like uh, three-point line to three-point line. He's smart with that. I just don't think that you can do that. I think it's so hard to win in the Western Conference. Yeah. I don't. This isn't just a one-year thing with the managing energy, managing uh, how you play on the defensive end. This is probably year three, at least, of yeah. Kind since of they a, won a defensive slide, yeah. yeah once they won, yeah. And when, how long ago was that? Oh, was that 2016? So, yeah, the Warriors. The Warriors won two. 
Warriors so, won the last two, so the year before. So that. this is three seasons of LeBron managing energy, yeah. which give him credit, man. Like he's older than the rest of the the rest of the guys who are in his draft class are washed yeah. right now. So and high school players generally break down a lot earlier than LeBron yeah. has. So I mean, give Jermaine O'Neal broke down early. Give him credit. Just don't ignore the fact that he's been coasting on the defensive end. I'm not like I don't. I'm not big on participation awards with my kids, so I'm not big on participation awards for the king. So what is what is he now? You know, is we we can't make the argument he's in an MVP conversation. Probably nah. never will again. Do you see him as a top ten player, a top fifteen player, a top twenty player? He can still take over games offensively, but I, and so look, he's he impact still- winning. Is he? A, if well, I I brought this up. You can replace him with any of the best players in the Western Conference and the top four teams in the East. Take Indiana out, put Boston. Like there, There's very few teams that you can put them on and take their best player off where they'll improve in the regular season. Now, in the playoffs, different conversation. So like if you took like Dame Lillard off of Portland and added LeBron, right, I don't think they'd be better in the regular season, but I – do think they'd be better in the playoffs. So if you took him off of Jokic, if you took him for Jokic, I'm certain that Denver would have a better record in the regular season. But LeBron in the playoffs is a beast. I know that. I just don't know what he is. Can they make? Can they get a team around him where they can get to the playoffs? Now I think we're having a different conversation. But I'm not sure that he can give this level with this team and make it. To the playoffs. And the path doesn't get easier moving forward to get into the playoffs. The Kings are improving. Uh, the Timberwolves, we assume, are going to keep the Clippers, improving. Clippers, we don't know who they're going to get. Yeah, even if they get nobody, they're still a playoff team right now. But you know, they yeah. could probably get Kawhi, maybe get Kawhi. Yeah, so I don't I don't know. I, I do think they need to improve the roster. They need to get guys that can really not, not – we like Lance Stevenson might be able to carry a team every 15 games. He can win you a game. But you have to get might a guy. Might lose you a couple too, and then what's that? Might lose oh, you a couple. Yeah. Too. By the way, for sure, <laughs> you have to find guys that can do that, that can carry the team, and and you got to find guys who can really defend. So you can put LeBron on the worst player on the floor. He needs to guard the worst offensive player on the floor, and that has to that that has to be fine. And people have to understand that that's the only way the Lakers are going to win. They have to have two-way type of players can't just get offensive players you need two-way type of players that are going to go out there and you also have to have guys that will call LeBron out for when he does this stuff like not guard uh Caboclo and then like grandstand his teammates when LeBron don't recite me every play you've ever been a part of but look around like you didn't know that was your man you surprised Rondo hasn't been that guy I think Rondo Rondo's smart and he knows like it's it's a lost cause. Mm. You can't you know call LeBron out this year. Mm. And I, you know another thing, I'm not even sure that like, he wants to like make the sacrifice that it takes to win in the NBA. You know, I like, got the shop, he's got a space jam, he's living in LA. I don't know. It's hard to win, man. I I would continue to tell you it is hard to win in this league. And if you think that you can just coast and win, I'm not sure that that's, that's happening. Especially when every one of these players that's seeing you does not see you as LeBron who coached on the defensive end. They see you as the king, the second greatest player, or maybe even the greatest player. 
to ever play the game. So you think they're just going to like, oh, well, lay down and let you do whatever you want? It's not going to work like that. The guys are circling that day on their calendar, and you got to take their best shot every single night. Not sure that that's a recipe for success unless they load up. AD, Jimmy Butler, maybe somebody else. The, I don't know. The roster overall is one thing, but the coaching situation I think is going to be one that – that becomes an issue for them. I mean, I think Luke Walton done at the end of the year. Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka, they didn't hire him. He's got the support of Jeannie Buss, but that only gets you so far when you have a season like this one. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. There's only a handful of guys they can really put on the list as legitimate candidates to coach a LeBron James team. You can't go out there and, you know, hire an Igor in Phoenix or whoever the hot assistant coach is at that time because – it's too challenging with LeBron on the roster. Yeah, he, he does respect Jason Kidd. Um, we've heard that. I, I, he must respect T. Lou. They won a championship together. There's a little bit of ties. You've got history with Jason Kidd. What do you think of his coaching? I like him. I like, I like that he was uh, – I think today I get it. Like everyone's sensitive and you got to like help the – I just think like being authentic to who you are is the number one thing you have to be as a coach. You can't like placate to, to players and, and their sensitivities to – this generation. I just think be who you are and either they'll like you or they won't like you. Mm-hmm. And if you can get LeBron on your side, and I think you got to coach him hard. Like, I, th- I think – I don't know if T. Lou did that. I think the year they won it, I think he did. And I don't know what happened after that by not holding them accountable on the defensive end. But in the playoffs, he did. He held them accountable to a certain extent. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I like Kidd. From obviously, my history, I owe him everything in my life, right? But besides that, I just think like the way that he approaches, it's hard nosed and he's and he's confrontational. I think that that's important, especially dealing with young guys. Now, I don't know if he'll be confrontational to LeBron, but when LeBron senses he's around people who are straightforward and confrontational, I think that he'll do his job better. Who owes Jason Kidd more, you or Richard Jefferson? Me. I owe him everything, man. Richard Jefferson. Jefferson was a good player. Got a lot of money off the Jason Kidd years. Yeah, but like I got I got like years. Yeah. Like I got I got eleven years because of him. I'm not getting that if it's not for him. He's he's um, I mean, he made me he gave he made me so much better than I was, but he also like gave me confidence, you know. And he was on me, man. He was yelling at me left and right all the time. But it was like like I, I didn't have any problem with it. That's the whole thing. If you, if I was sensitive, I would have I wouldn't have made it. So it's hard for me to understand what it's like to be that way. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to like enter into a mind of a player who grew, grew up in an AAU generation and everyone has been like coddling you for so long. You know, I'm like, come on, man! Like, can you imagine anybody ever coddling me? It's just like it would be it would it would be weird. It would it would be like a Saturday Night Live skit, you know? <laughs> it's so. all like the full outrage over Tom Izzo yelling at his. See that the freshman. That's lady. another thing, man. Like, if the player has no problem with it and the coach has no problem with it, why do people have a problem with it? Why do people butt into other people's stuff and like make these opinion pieces? And you know what they always bring up? How much money Tom Izzo makes and how this player is so poor playing in college. It's like, come on, man. Enough already. Low hanging fruit. Like, go yeah. after the money. Yeah, it's just so it's so ridiculous. The guy from Irvine right now, that same thing. He's mad at him for making six figures mm-hmm. when he's poor college kids. Listen, man, you don't want to go to college, don't go to college. I don't, I, no one's forcing you to play sports, you know? It's not like if you don't play sports. Like, I mean, you're, you're there. You're getting an education. I tell you what people don't think about when it comes to the paying athlete. 
you know what's going to happen if they start paying the athlete? All the all the women's soccer, men's soccer, they're all those are going to go away. They're going to be like, "Okay, we'll pay our athletes, but we're not going to like take an L because everyone understand those scholarships to all those women's rowing and Title IX and all that, it's Title IX is you know who generates that, right? Football teams, basketball teams. You want to start paying players? Go figure out how you're going to do that. I think, and all you kids out there that pay tuition, watch your tuition go up 25%. I think the easiest way to solve, and this is off topic, but the easiest way to solve this problem is to let guys make money off their likeness. 100%. Get a sneaker deal. Go Do whatever you want. Sign autographs. Go to the mall, sign autographs. By the way, get the top 20 college players and tour around America. Yeah. That, that's the easiest, no frills way of getting it. Hundred percent, no hundred. Like let him play in the big three, like <laughs> Zion, the big three. No, I mean he's obviously going to go to the draft, but like everyone who wants to go back to college, come on, man, it would be great to see these players play. You, you you're, if we can sell out twelve thousand five hundred, they should be able to come in and join our league and make a little bit of money. I agree. It's ridiculous, and and the institutions don't have to pay a dime. Nope. What are you protecting? What are you protecting like this? Uh, and, and I'm not, I don't think that the institution should have to pay the player, but come on, man. Let these guys go make some money. I agree. All right, let me finish uh, with a team you saw recently, I saw recently, Denver. The Nuggets, uh, playoff outsider last season, just a half game back as we speak of Golden State for the top seed in the Western Conference. The Nuggets are the second youngest team in the NBA, but they do have a bona fide superstar in Nikola Jokic, scoring depth that extends deep into their bench. What they don't have is a de facto go-to wing score, which has been used by some analysts to predict an early exit for the Nuggets uh, this season. Now, let me ask you, you're, do you see the Nuggets as a real threat to win the Western Conference? No. I do see them as a real threat to beat Houston, even though they struggled against Houston this year. I, I So... Does man, it really man, the Western Conference playoffs has so much juice. Mm -hmm. From from one to eight, which even if it's Warriors, it's like it's interesting, right? It's just it I just think it has a lot of juice. So if Denver gets through their first round and they have home court against Houston, I'm really looking forward to that series. It is the uh, ball movement and player movement versus the isolation score, what's gonna play out. And um I've I've like not this season. Like I would say, four years ago, I've gone 180 on James Harden. I just I used to hate watching the Rock. I actually love watching this guy play now. And so it's going to be I, when I look at the West, I look at Denver, Houston, and if I had to put money on it right now, and if Denver finishes with best better record than Houston, I do think that they'll beat Houston. Even though every year I kind of get caught with like thinking that Houston's not going to win, and they seem to get themselves in a position where you know, like it could possibly happen where are the flaws to in your mind in, in the nuggets as a playoff team like do you believe they need that Harden durant go-to guy jamal murray really hasn't he's been a better a lot better and he's a rising star at that position but he's not that guy yet they win and we saw them do it against boston sure. with depth of offense you know they can go to gary harris and monty morris can you do that in the playoffs and be successful so so clearly their their team is built differently right and i when i look at houston i mean when i look at denver i say you got to be who you are and even more extreme than who you are. So instead of like everyone says, well, you got to have a wing score where you can go isolation down the stretch. No. Like as the game is going on, you have to cut harder, set better screens off the ball. You have to, you know, and Jokic, you have to give the ball to him and have him make plays even more so. 
Because if you try to play other people's game, you're going to lose. And they might. Because a lot of people in times of stress will revert back to what you see, which is a lot of isolation. That's what we see in the playoffs. But if they can commit and, and go even more so, think about Sacramento way back in the day when they had Weber and uh, – Great Bra- passing teams. And Bidivac or Brad Miller, right? They, they, were, they were more committed to that. And they, if they can get to the point where they feel like their offense is so far superior, you're not going to be able to stop us, then – you can really take control of a series. But if you try to play the other people's game when everyone says you need to have a wing score, you need to go isolation in the fourth quarter, no. You need to execute and cut harder. And Mike Malone has talked about that all season long. When this team goes sideways, what happens is I think these guys start feeling themselves. And they, it's the hardest thing to make a player do is to cut hard. When, when if things are going well, then you all of a sudden – or if things are going bad – you get guys that like think that they can do it on their own. You have to block out the noise because no one in the offseason is working on setting screens and hard cutting and finishing or coming off. They work on having the ball in their hand. Now all of a sudden they have to pass to Jokic and they have to like figure out how to win this way. That is their best course to win. Will they commit to it all the way? I don't know. If I was them, I would go even more so. Upwards of 320 passes a game or more. Make that ball fly around. Make your cuts that much harder. You do that, I think they can beat Houston. You try to play Houston's game, I guarantee they lose. Yeah, they're the second best team in terms of uh, assists on field goals made this year, so that's a positive for their passing. And defensively, they ha- they've slipped a little bit overall. They're still inside the top ten in efficiency, but they're still the number one team in fourth quarter defense. So they're clamping down at end-of-game situations. And they've got great length, like great no size no at question. these positions. Yeah. Like, and Jokic is a good defender. Like yeah. He baits guys for his lack of athleticism. He baits guys into taking shots and then closes the gap late in the game. There's you know not I mean? enough Nikola Jokic origin stories for me to read. I- I'll read he, all of them. He, he's like, the best. Like yeah. how like this guy who you know, athletically nothing, testing nothing, yeah. you know, is just a, a true star. Just it's unbelievable. You know, ball he, handling, passing, shooting, everything. He does a little bit of everything. Yeah, and he's like unselfish. Mm-hmm. It's and he picks the right times to shoot. But they need to embrace that. They need to embrace that star. They need to embrace who they are. If they can do that, I think they can really surprise people. But if you get sucked into the trap, you know, the isolation trap or whatever it is, when things get tough, you got to be who you are. And if they can do that, I think they can win. But I've seen it time and time again. You know, you play the certain style, and the playoffs come. Everything gets hard. You revert back to what you did. You know, like you, way back. You know, two years ago, three years ago, when you played AAU, whatever it may be. They need to go the other way. You got to commit to the style. If they get to a conference finals and they play Golden State, to you, is Demarcus Cousins an asset or a liability for the Warriors at that point? I mean, the asset on the offensive end and the liability on defense. But he'll How do get you exposed. balance that out, though? He'll get exposed by Jokic mm-hmm. big time. Jokic will frustrate him because I'm sure, like, DeMarcus Cousins, like, guarding a guy like that is frustrating because he, you, you're like, I'm going to play good defense on him, and then he dribble handoffs. And then this guy's coming off, and you're, like, so wrapped in, and all of a sudden this guy turns the corner, and then you got to, okay, you got to stop the guy. Then they throw back to Jokic. And even if he was to make the third effort, which I think he's made it in his life, three times even if he was to make a multiple effort like that then you're like all right i'm gonna stop him and then he might just like hit somebody for a backdoor pass now you just gave all this effort and someone got like an easy layup 
that's how people tap out mentally. It takes a certain type of person to guard a Jokic. You have to be like relentless in your game planning, relentless in your effort, and you can't get discouraged whatsoever. And if you do that, maybe you have a chance. But I, I think I think that Draymond would be a much better guy to guard him because Draymond I'm guessing we'll flip the defensive switch when the playoffs happen. He's smart. He's physical. He's active with his hands. He knows everything you want to do. I think that you'll see a lot more of that than you'll see of Cousins. Lastly, you're familiar with Isaiah Thomas, obviously, for what he did in Boston. Out of the rotation in Denver, Isaiah still talks to like a guy that firmly believes he can get it all back. Uh, from, from what you've seen of him since the injury – do you think that's possible? Do you think we can see we'll see Isaiah Thomas even at close to an All Star level ever again? I mean, based on what I've seen, so what I've seen of him in Denver, Denver. That, the answer is no. But what I've seen on Isaiah in his life, I've I've quit writing him off. Mm. I've been I've been wrong at every single level along the way with him. He's exceeded my expectations 10 times over as I adjust my expectations to match his play. And then he exceeds them once again. So from what I've seen, like the simple answer would be no, but I, I've counted Isaiah Thomas out and, and I love the guy about a hundred times and he keeps on surprising me. So it, it's not fair to look at what's happening in Denver. Like he signed on to play for a Nuggets team that missed the playoffs expected to get into the playoffs, didn't know that Monty Morris was going to turn into this terrific backup point guard. So coming back in mid-February to a team that's trying to fight for the number one seed, it's no surprise out of the rotation. Yeah, like you can't, you can't be experimenting if you're Mike Malone at this point or trying to work your way back in the same way that the, the, that the Warriors are working DeMarcus Cousins back in. My question with Isaiah is that when he was in Boston, one of his great strengths was that he was like indefatigable. I mean, he just ran around. Like sure. he would make the first pass and he'd run around and, and make another catch. He would just wear you down on the offensive end of the floor. Is that guy still in him? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. And I don't know if there's a team out there that can harness him in the same way that Boston harnessed his ability. That's a good question. Um, who, like, he has to be the guy. I really, what I really think his. And watch me be wrong again on this one, because he uh, he always surprises me. But he has to be the sixth man who gets every shot, every play ran for him. And I don't know if teams are doing that. I always right thought now. that was a great role for him before he got to Boston. When he got to Boston, sure. took off. I was like sixth man that that can just be like a mini Vinny Johnson. Yeah, type. I mean, I, I do see him as like that. But he has to. When you're five eight and you lose ten percent of your athleticism, is tough. Like it's just really like this. The separation, he didn't get much of it when he played because he was small, but he got enough to, to go off on guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know if he could be the guy, like a 35-minute-a-game guy, 30-minute-a-game guy, and, and, and run. Even Brad Stevens was like, I don't even know if I could play him like this as a starter because I just like – I give him the ball every single time down. How can how can anybody how, – how can any human being just maintain this? And that's not like – and people always talk about his defense. He worked hard on defense. He just happened to be 5'8". Mm-hmm. But he wasn't like a slouch. He like fought through p- picks. He fought on the post. I mean, he played so dang hard. But uh, I just – I think he's at his best when he has – he was at his best when he had the ball in his hands and sack. Same thing with Phoenix. Same thing in Boston. Is there a team out there that could pay him to, to 
to be that guy. Houston. Put him in Houston. Have him be like hard, hardened off the bench. Yeah, but that's like – that's only – Harden plays, what, 36 yeah. minutes a night? It's not enough. It's only 12 minutes a game. I know. It's not – it's but like – that's the only style that makes any kind of – Yeah, it's like Orlando. Like, I think Orlando where – but I just don't know if teams are going to sell – are going to go down that road. It just doesn't seem like a team will – it was like hard for Brad Stevens to go down that road. It started out just like give him the ball every single time as a bench player, mm-hmm. 21 minutes a night, and it morphed into the fifth in MVP voting. It didn't like start that way. I mean, even as smart as the Celtics are and Brad Stevens is smart, and me and watching these guys play every single – like no one could imagine that happening, but it just kept happening and happening, and it, it, he kept exceeding expectations over and over again. I just don't know if people are going to give him – that same chance anymore. I don't know either. Uh, Scal, always appreciate it, man. How long do you got for me? Do I get like some me undies or anything like well, that? Well, I don't know what product I'm hawking today. <laughs> I find out uh, a little bit later on. Whatever it is, I want like a Whatever gift it is, card. Uh, gift card uh, coming your way. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Brian Scalabrini for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.